0: Exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM,
1: WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM, the impact. And now, Impact Exposure.
0: Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University. This is
1: Impact Exposure. Exposure.
2: You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host Emily Fox. In news today, in world news, more than 1,000 people have died from cholera in Haiti as the outbreak spreads, according to the BBC. The Haitian health ministry has said the number of people who have received hospital treatment for the disease has risen to over 16.5 thousand. Meanwhile, United Nations peacekeepers have stepped up security after violent protests on Monday that left two Haitians dead. At least one of the men was shot dead by the U.S. P- UN peacekeepers. In national news, the United States faces a major threat in the future from cyber technologies, Defense Secretary Robert Gates said today, according to Reuters. The U.S. Defense Department estimates that over 100 foreign intelligence organizations have attempted to break into U.S. networks. Every year, hackers also steal enough data from U.S. government agencies, businesses, and universities to fill the U.S. Library of Congress many times over, officials say. And in Michigan news, Motor Motor Trend magazine has named General Motors' Chevrolet Volt the 2011 Car of the Year, according to Michigan Radio. On its website, the magazine editor-in-chief said the Volt has some of the most advanced engineering ever seen on an American production car. The Volt goes up to 40 miles on battery power. After that, a gasoline generator kicks in to power electric motor. And on Exposure Night, we have a jam-packed, filled show. Um, on the show, we will be talking with uh, CNBC reporter Phil LeBeau on the CNBC documentary Ford Rebuilding an American Icon. Also on the show, former Top Chef contestant Ariane Duarte will talk about some holiday cooking. Um, also on the show, we will be talking about MSU Global Fest, as well as buying local. And in the studio, we have MSU's vocal jazz ensemble. They are here to perform and talk about their upcoming performance. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having us. So, can you go around and introduce who you are, starting with the soprano? <laughs> I'm Abby Christiansen, I'm a
1: physi- Physiology Pre-Med major here at MSU.
3: I'm Bryce Berry, I'm a Tenor, I'm a Music Ed major.
4: I'm Zach Myers, I'm a Tenor as well, and I'm a Vocal Jazz major.
1: I'm Caitlin Field,
3: and I'm a Special and Elementary Ed major. I'm Jesse Warren, I'm a Social Work major.
0: And I'm Devin Smith, and I'm a Vocal Jazz major as well.
2: So we only have two vocal jazz majors in here out of the whole group. And Sonny
5: Wilkinson, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Sonny Wilkinson. I'm a professor of jazz at Michigan State. And yes, unfortunately, we're missing about four or five of our members tonight. So we do have more vocal jazz majors, but we are certainly thrilled to have all these other folks with us as well.
2: Now, Sonny, can you tell us about the upcoming concert that you guys have?
5: Well, I think it's going to be very festive. We have a wonderful group this year, great attitudes, great musicians, and a, a big, wide variety of tunes that we're going to perform for you, so it should be fun.
2: And, and you'll also be performing with Octet One and Two. No? Absolutely. What mm-hmm. is that group? Tell me more about that. Well,
5: as the name would indicate, each group has eight people in it: rhythm section plus horns, and doing a, a variety of music. I think I think they're doing specialty songs this this concert, but I'm not really sure what who they're featuring. So,
2: and I understand this is. This year may be the last for possibly vocal vocal jazz. Can you talk more about that?
5: Well, unwillingly, but yes I will. I mean it's kind of tragic really. We've spent seven years building a wonderful vocal jazz program at Michigan State. Pretty unique in the nation because we have really featured the building of the solo voice. But the time and the climate and the university has seen fit to eliminate the program. Uh, because of the financial crisis in Michigan. So that's another reason why we are so slim with regard to vocal jazz majors is it has been phased out. So uh, this is going to be my last year teaching, and uh, I have every confidence that this new generation of musicians is going to carry on the the torch no matter what.
2: And, And how would you rate Michigan as a state as far as our jazz music scene?
5: Well, some of the greatest music in the world has come from Michigan. The Detroit scene is huge. Tommy Flanagan, Betty Carter, uh, the list goes on and on. Um, and, and our own Professor Rodney Whittaker, who's a pretty world-famous bass player, comes from the Detroit area. We have a lot of great history here and a lot of great, great musicians here as well.
2: Well, speaking of great musicians, would you guys be willing to sing a piece that will um, be happening at your upcoming uh, performance, which is happening this Friday at 8 p.m. in the RCH Theater, um, coming up again this Friday, and this is the Vocal Jazz Ensemble here at Michigan State University.
5: All right. One, two, one, two, three, four. Don't buy sugar
4: you just have to touch my cup you're my sugar is sweet when you stir it up we mean to tell you about every honeybee fills with jealousy when See you out with me. I don't blame them. Goodness knows, honey. When you're passing by, flowers droop and sigh. And they know the reason why you're much sweeter. Goodness knows, honey. Bye, sugar You just have to touch my cup, oh yeah You're my sugar It feels so sweet when you stir it up When I'm taking sips from your tasty lips Seems the honey fairly drips Your confection goodness knows you are my honeysuckle rose b you're dip ba dip ba bip ba ba but ba a ba 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 pa pa ba Ba-oh-ba-ba-ba-a-du-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba a dip dip a ba ba spe spe pa pa da 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 I've never oh my pop 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 the pop but, pop 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 the pop 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 Goodness knows, honey When you're passing by
5: flowers, droop and sigh and They know the reason why you're much sweeter
4: Goodness knows, honey Don't buy sugar you just have to touch my cup Ooh, my sugar It's sweet when you stir it up When I'm taking sips from your tasty lips Seems the honey fairly drips <laughs> you're pepper, goodness do, You are my honeysuckle rose, do, rose. 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 Rose.
2: in the studio is MSU's Vocal Jazz Ensemble. They'll be performing on Friday at 8 p.m. in the RCAH Theater here on MSU's campus. Thank you guys so much for coming in. You're welcome. So any other concerts coming up in the near future that people can look out for?
5: We do. We have a concert on December 7th at the Martin Luther Chapel at 8 o'clock, and we'll be featuring some Christmas music as well as some of our other wonderful tunes that we've been working on.
2: All right, well, thank you everyone so much for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. you
0: You're listening to
1: Impact Exposure. Exposure.
0: Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council.
1: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to The Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
0: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's progressive torch and twang (laughs) twang. brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music.
1: Only on
6: Impact Primetime. Primetime.
0: Now back to
1: Impact Exposure.
2: You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Here in the studio is Chad uh, Jordan of Cravings Gourmet Popcorn, as well as Jor Borgstrom of the Michigan State Housing Development Authority. And they're here to talk about um, buying local. They're a part of the Capital Gain Speaker Series that is going on this week. They'll be talking at um, about the importance of buying local. And the speaker series is tomorrow at the Waterfront Bar and Grill. Uh, inside the Lansing City Market, and that'll take place between 6 and 7 p.m. So welcome to the show, uh, J- Chad and Joe.
7: Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot.
2: So, why are you speaking at this event? Tell us how you guys got involved and, and why it is important to buy local.
6: Well, we both got involved, uh, actually, uh, at the urging of probably uh, a number of folks that probably Subinur uh, Kulik, uh, yeah <laughs> with their last name, um, and uh both uh, Chad and I are working on different things. Uh, Chad, obviously, being a small business owner in, in Old Town, and uh, what we're working with at the Michigan Main Street Center at Mishta uh, is trying to encourage folks to, to shop locally to realize that there's a true economic impact uh, when people spend their money with locally owned businesses as opposed to supporting uh, you know, big boxes and those sorts of things.
7: I, I think it's important as a business owner to uh, let people know that um, uh, it's important to... Uh, affect their own community. Um, There's many ways that we can do it and and have a positive influence on our environment around us and and shopping locally is uh, one of those things that we can can all do.
2: Now Chad, can you talk a little bit about what your business is and how it has evolved in the past few years?
7: Yeah, I own uh, Cravings Gourmet Popcorn and uh, I started out at the Lansing City Market back in the fall of 2007. Um, Recently I've moved to Old Town and uh, um, it's been uh, very good there in Old Town.
2: Um, and Joe, I want to ask you as part of um, Mishda. How does buying local affect the economy? Are there some numbers that you can throw out there? How much your dollar can go buying local versus buying, you know, going to the mall and, and buying, you know, let's say holiday gifts there?
6: Certainly. Actually, there was a great study that was done in two thousand eight by a group called Local First out of Grand Rapids that really looked at the Grand Rapids market. But you know, it's it's very. Uh, um, Uh, similar for the rest of the state. When you buy an an item in a locally-owned business, uh, $0.68 of every dollar stays in the local economy versus $0.43 buying that same item at a chain store. Uh, And the reason for that is that the locally-owned businesses hire other locally-owned businesses. uh, They use local suppliers. they They use many more things in the local economy than the chains do. So if you were to go to a big box and you know, some of that money, a lot of that money, goes down to say Bentonville, Arkansas, versus you know staying here in, in Old Town. Uh, like if you were to go buy something from Chad's Shop, that you know much more of that money stays in the local economy—sixty-eight to forty-three—versus uh, a national chain.
2: And what constitutes buying local? Is that is buying local going to Meijer since it's a Michigan-based company, or you know what what constitutes? That's wow. a great
6: question because, you know, that's one, that's one of the things that people struggle with a lot is that you hear local, and so you, su- you assume that's necessarily a geographic prox- proximity. So, you know, the local Walmart is a local business. No, it's not. It depends on uh, where, they're, uh, where the, the, the owners of the business live. Is a big part of that, and it's not necessarily a black or white issue. It's either local or non local. It is a kind of a, almost a, a hierarchy or a scale of gray. You know, Chad's a great example. He lives here in the area. He owns a local business. He uses other businesses. He is wholly a locally owned business. But you just mentioned Meyer. Meyer's a great example. You know, they may be a bit of a big box, but they're located in Grand Rapids. So they're not necessarily as you know bad for the economy as saying, you know, buying somewhere is located in another state. So at least the state benefits from those taxes. So it's kind of a slide scale but by by far the most impact happens in those locally owned businesses
7: and i think that there are some businesses that are more local than others i mean if you go to a business that um, and i'm not picking on any type of business but some type of uh, a business that sells everything that's made in china versus a business that you know gets their product line from somewhere in Michigan or even the United States that that makes a difference also because the money is actually circulating within the United States or within your local geographic region
2: so Chad your business is is pretty much popcorn you sell popcorn and gourmet popcorn and soda right
7: gourmet popcorn and soda
2: and do a lot of those products come from the Michigan area
7: a lot of them do as a matter of fact um, while we're making our popcorn we, we use local dairies for our butter um, we use local distributors for um, all of our other products. We use local um, corn. Our corn is actually grown in Michigan.
2: And and I'm curious, a store that exclusively sells these, you know, popcorn, and you say you've you've um, your business has grown in the past few years. How do you think that that happens?
7: I, it really does come from being involved in the community. Uh, you can't expect for your business to grow and just take, take, take from you know your customers without giving back to the community and, and their customers. So I think that um, it's it's not a gimmick. It's the way to do business. Uh, if you want to grow your business, you have to um, give back to the community. If you want to uh, receive from them.
2: And. And Joe, can you talk about um, Shop, is it Shop My or Shop Michigan Downtown Holiday Challenge?
7: Oh,
6: the Shop My Downtown. I just want to say something real quickly, too, yeah. about about, Chad, about Chad's store at Craig's Popcorn Old Town. You know, Chad's store and what he's doing is really important, not only from, uh, you know, kind of the keeping the money local. You know, now that he's selling his product online, he's helping to bring money into the community on top of, you know, helping keep the money here. So that's a really important point you know, that we realize that some of our small businesses are doing. So thank you, Chad, for doing that. You mentioned the Shop My Downtown Holiday Challenge. Uh, Yeah, the the idea came from uh, the Village of Sparta. Uh, Their DDA director had contacted us. We work with Sparta through our Michigan Main Street program and said that their DDA director had started a video blog just wanting to challenge Sparta residents to do all all their their Christmas shopping in downtown Sparta. And they sent it to us and said, would you mind passing this along? And some of us talked about some of our... uh, Our other statewide partners said, this is something we can really get behind. So we decided to challenge Michigan residents to spend 75% of their holiday shopping budgets in Michigan's downtowns and Main Street districts like Old Town. Uh, We thought it was really important for folks to realize the economic impact. That's $68 to $43. I'll throw in one more number for you, $0, which if you buy something off the Internet from somebody that's not located here in Michigan, that's how much of your money stays locally. All of it goes. Um, So... You know, getting together with those partners like the Small Business Association of Michigan, the Michigan Municipal League, you know, a whole handful of other folks uh, to issue this challenge, and we wanted to folks to not only just take this challenge, and it wasn't kind of kind of a browbeating. It was we want to make it fun, so we created a Facebook page. It's so it's facebookcom where We were asking people to share photos of their favorite downtown businesses as part of this. And we've had, you know, five establishments who are part of our Michigan Main Street program uh, donate overnight stays. So anyone who enters in, enters a, uh, post, excuse me, posts a picture or a video of their favorite downtown business uh, gets entered into a random drawing.
2: And so with this competition, those people that are entered into this drawing, is it just them participating in it or do they have to um, have 75% of their, their holiday shopping be in the local area.
6: Well, the challenge is we can't, we can't really verify what a person's budget is. and The, the, the idea is that there's a challenge, it's, and it's all done you know, kind of on the honor system. But the the Facebook challenge really is is about just people sharing you know, you know, great stories about great businesses. And we've seen a couple of businesses. There's a good example, uh, Trailhead, Mercantile, in Downtown Niles. Uh, they solved the challenge. They really liked it. And so what they decided to do was they said, okay, any of our customers who post our picture on here, not only will you be entered into this bigger contest, but we're going to have our own little drawing for, 20, for a $20 gift certificate. Um, you know, so you know, not only can you promote shopping downtown, you can help us promote our business. It's become really quite viral. We're seeing a number of businesses start to do that. We think it's a really cool idea.
2: Now, I remember I was, in, I was in middle school, and I, I grew up in the Lansing area, um, and I remember it was around Christmas time one year, and instead of going shopping at the mall with my mom, she took me to downtown Lansing, and it was very interesting for me, um, because at that point, no it was a weekend, so Lansing wasn't bustling with people going to work, and. Um, It was just a very, very relaxing time to just go to these shops and some of them, you know, were very eclectic and, and, um, you know, artsy and things like that. And I just remember it was just a great experience to be in downtown Lansing. It wasn't super crowded and it felt very, very quaint. A lot different than you would get from your experience going to a mall or something like that. Um, so I, I thought that that idea is very interesting. Um, so what ideas do you guys have for, um, now that the holiday season's kind of kicking up, um, some possible gift ideas for the holiday season um, that you can find here in the Lansing area?
7: Well, of course I'm going to say popcorn <laughs> tins. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't love popcorn? Uh, when you go to Old Town, I'll just I'll just say this. I, I'm going to take. I have two kids, and uh, I'm going to take them shopping in Old Town to buy all of our gifts this year. I just think it's it's not just the right thing to do, but it's 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 uh, setting an example for the future. Um, and, and then the other thing is is that there's a lot of places that even though I'm in Old Town every day that I haven't been to, and it's a lot of adventure and discovery for myself also i think that you talked about your experience of of going downtown lansing and and shopping it was an adventure there were things that you had never seen before and some of the gifts that you gave people probably appreciated them a lot more because you had to put some thought into them when you go to the mall it's the same old store for everybody Mm -hmm. it's this i mean it's it's nationwide it's the same old same old for everybody so i think that Going to these smaller places and uh, it makes it a lot more special. I, and I think too, you know, one of the one of
6: the cool parts about shopping these districts and shopping these locally owned businesses is that a lot of times you go into Cravings Popcorn, and you're gonna find Chad. You know, and you're gonna find you're, you're gonna find the, the folks that you know are gonna be the same people every time. It's not, you know, whoever's working the store at the mall that day, you know, who may not be there tomorrow. You know, you go into October Moon, and you know, more times than not, you're gonna you're gonna find you know the owner of October Moon, and same with Grace, and the same with you know a lot of the businesses who are down in Old Town. The owners are working the store, and I guarantee you, you get much better service from an owner and from their from their close knit employees than you do from a chain. And it's you know if that person's bothered working that day, or if you know they're not there
7: you know, the next day. Who knows? So. And, and they're going to make it right if it's not if it's not right because it's their livelihood. That's right. And, and that's I think that's the thing that always frustrated me about you know shopping at some other places is that well that's the policy and that's the way it is. It doesn't matter how you felt as as a consumer um, when you go to these local businesses. Th- their their heart and soul is invested in this. Their their pocketbook book is invested in this. They're going to make it right with you.
2: Yeah, uh, almost a year. Actually, probably a year to the date. Um, my my aunt came in from California. She actually sat in this very same show the weekend before Thanksgiving. She was in, and um, she had just gotten done. My mom had t- taken out. For, my mom skipped work for a day, took her out, and she she took her to Old Town. Took her to October Moon. Got to meet the owner. You know, they they hung out for a while. You know, shared music and you know all the you know what goes on in that store, and then. Took her to um, Horrocks, and they bought all of these like gourds and, and pumpkins and things like that, and made this whole extravagant um, piece with, with just a, lots of produce on it that she had seen on the storefronts in Old Town. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that my aunt comes from um, California and she you know takes to places like Old Town, things like that. Um, and I just want to talk about Old Town for a little bit, Chad. Because are you? When did when did you start your business in Old Town?
7: <laughs> Uh, I opened up in February.
2: In February, because recently they've had a ton of new um, businesses coming into Old Town, correct?
7: Yeah. As a matter of fact, we had a ribbon cutting in, I want to say, April or May. And I believe that there were more than 20 new businesses that opened up for the ribbon cutting. I mean, it was amazing. They were going from, from business to business to business for about two hours straight doing ribbon cuttings, which was pretty phenomenal.
2: Yeah, and I just think that, that whole area is just a wonderful scene, just seeing it how it's expanded through the years. And I, and I think, you know, you talk about your store, but I feel like many of the owners, it's, like you said, you know, the owners run it, um, a very, you know, personal atmosphere, and, and everyone has their, their own taste to their store.
7: Yeah, and people are passionate. That's the thing. People are passionate. The The, the person that runs the pottery shop knows about pottery. It's not just some person that says yeah that one's brown <laughs> there's more to it they can they can tell you the history behind whatever it is that their craft is there's so many great places and there's a lot of loyalty there among
6: the retailers as well um, you know the owners start to get to know each other and you know to folly is one another one of the new businesses and down in old town there uh know, yeah, but you know they will refer other customers to the other stores and you won't see that at the mall nobody was going to really tell you to you know go go across the street and check out these guys they do that in Old Town. You know, they've very, we've been very uh, fortunate to work with Old Town for, uh, geez, going on five years now, I think, uh, through the Michigan Main Street program. And they've got a phenomenal uh, community. And that, so that's the best word I can think of it, because it's not only the residents, but the business owners form a community, and, and everyone who's there are all kind of pulling together, and they all realize that a rising tide lifts all boats.
2: Now, as as time goes on, we're becoming more of a globalized world. Um, you know, back in the day, everyone shopped locally, and that's what you did. Um, but do you think that there's there's more? Because um, I've seen this theme come up a lot recently in the past few years. You know, buy local, buy local. Do you think it's more important now, um, seeing that that you know, the world as a whole is becoming more more globalized? That that because that happened, um, we're kind of wanting to go back to the roots and wanting to to bring more into our local economies. Do you see that, that's, that there's more of a need for it now?
6: No, I, I think so, and I think, there's, I think you're seeing that movement in a number of places. I think not only retail is part of that. I think you're also seeing it in terms of uh, local food production. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a good example. And I think you're seeing that work its way through the chain because restaurant tours, and especially local restaurant tours. You know, uh, Soup Spoon Cafe uh, on Michigan Avenue here in Lansing. You know, I know he goes out and he goes to the farmers market, and he goes and he wants to know who he's buying the food from. You know, there's been so many food scares and things going on recalls that there's a real. Want- Want to know you know who who's producing your food retails a lot like that people want to know that if there's going to be a problem that the owners are going to respond to it you know we all kind of feel like that we've been mass herded everywhere yeah, and that i would agree you know yeah. that, that we're all being put in this cookie cutter and you know the idea that so there's individual attention and i think we're at a really critical point where you know even those of us who are in our 30s and 40s remember our downtowns even when we were little kids of being kind of magical places especially at the holiday time that you know we want to kind of get back to that so I think you're right I think that there's a, there's a pushback for that but I think there's a real economic need too because our, our economies are like buckets of water and every time that we you know buy stuff from from China or anywhere else more money leaves our bucket and so the more opportunities
7: we have to shop locally and help keep that water in our bucket we need to do that uh, I would also add that you know, for example I know the farmer that grew my corn we have a relationship you don't necessarily get that at you know somewhere else because i have a relationship with him he's going to help me to make my business better because if my business is better that means that i will buy more corn from him in the same way that i have to build a relationship with my customers because if they feel better about buying my product they will buy more product from me i will feel better about selling it to them i will feel better about donating to their charity or their fundraiser see how it all works Mm -hmm. we all we all want to build a relationship and feel good about each other Uh,
2: now my last question for both of you is is what do you think are the biggest struggles um for local business people and and what are your what are your hopes for for the lansing area like when you talk about old town and how you know, There's ribbon cutting, you know, this past spring and twenty three new businesses or so were there. Um so what what are the struggles right now and, and, and what are the hopes that, that we have?
6: Well the the small
7: business owner on this question to, to yeah. start it off. I mean you tell us. I would say just awareness. I think that's the, the biggest um hurdle to overcome. It's awareness. We've gotta get people aware of where we are and who we are and what we can provide. I really think that going to the mall is the easy way out, how do we get to some of these other special nooks and crannies of the city yeah, i 'll add and I think this was one of the one of the pushes behind us doing
6: the shop my downtown challenge it was, is echoing just that you know these folks are competing against big boxes who have millions and millions of av- dollars in advertising budgets and they 're going to be flooding if they 're not already doing it, flooding the TV waves here shortly before Thanksgiving to get everyone to go shop at, at their big boxes you know. I'm guessing Cravings Popcorn doesn't have a $2 million advertising line item budget. Just nope, guessing. nope. <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a lot of small businesses who are like that. And so one of the reasons that we wanted to have this challenge is that, and it's been so far successful, and we thank you guys for having us on to talk about it, is to get people more aware about that, that, they are, that there are these local businesses out there and that they're great places to be able to buy quality gifts and quality products from great people uh, that can really improve our communities.
2: Well, in the studio I have... Uh, chad jordan of cravings gourmet popcorn located in um, old town lansing as well as joe borgstrom of the michigan state housing development authority they're here to talk about buying local they're a part of the capital gain speaker series which will be happening tomorrow november 17th at the waterfront bar and grill um, which will be in which is inside the lansing city market and that'll take place between 6 to 7 p.m and they'll be discussing buying local thank you so much for joining us tonight
7: thanks for having That's us emily
0: You're listening to...
1: Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
0: Monday nights from 8 till 10, The Asian Invasion brings you the music from The Rising Sun. We'll bring you the latest pop, indie, rock, and electro from Korea, Japan, and China. Only
1: on Impact 89FM.
6: (sighs) An ordinary day. An ordinary family's living room filled with an ordinary bunch of kids. And they were doing nothing. When suddenly...
7: That's a personal foul. Inactive activity on a sunny day. Coming to the rescue was NFL running back Reggie Bush. Let's play. And play they did. There was running and jumping and laziness
6: was crushed.
8: Hey, kids, don't get a lazy penalty. Go online to smallstep.gov
6: for fun playtime ideas. So you can be a player, too. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services
5: and
8: the Ad Council.
9: Attention, shoppers. If anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game thank you and have a good day
0: small step number 81 snack on fruits and veggies it's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy learn more at www.smallstep.gov
1: a public service announcement brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council
0: now back to impact exposure
2: you are tuned to Impact Exposure in the studio. I have Nicole Namy uh, um, as well as Peggy Arbanus and they're here to talk about the MSU Global Festival. Welcome to the show. Hi, Emily. How are you? Hi, Emily. I'm doing well. Um, so talk about what is the Global Festival. Well, it's... a
1: wonderful program that is put on every year um, in collaboration with CBIP, the Community Volunteers for International Programs, uh, UAB, and OISS, the Office for International Students and Scholars. And it's an opportunity for international students to come in and showcase culture. And so this year we're really lucky. We have um, about 30 nationality groups that are going to be um, having various booths and opportunities to share our culture. And so we're really excited. Um, because I think this is one of our bigger um, global festivals that we've had.
9: Well, it's a great opportunity for our international students. And I don't know if everyone knows that we have more than 5,000 international students from 129 different countries. And this is really their chance to kind of show off the neat things about their culture. And uh, so they enjoy it a lot. And we really encourage um, uh, the students to come and they get a passport, uh, particularly the elementary school students, and they can get their names written in a lot of different languages and things like that. And um, I think if you were studying a language, it'd be a great opportunity to come and uh, try your um, Arabic or your Spanish or your French. And um, it'd be sort of like being able to travel all the way around the world uh, right here at the MSU Union this Sunday afternoon. It's from 12 to 5.
1: I was just going to say, along with the exhibits, we also have performers uh, that will take place in the MSU Union Ballroom. And so we have close to about 16 acts that will be taking place, Um, musical instruments, dance performances, um, really great and talented students that have put in a lot of time and effort to make it happen. So we're really excited for them.
2: Now, I remember I was, I believe, a sophomore in high school, and I got extra credit if I went to this Global Fest as part of a yeah. um, World Studies class I was with. Um, and I just remember, it was it kind of reminded me of like Epcot Center meets Study Abroad Fair. <laughs> so you, you go around yeah, the perfect, union, yeah. and, and everyone yeah. has their booths up. They talk to you about these different mm-hmm, places right. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then they have things like they have a, a gift shop
1: there, and then performances as well. Yeah, I mean, I think Peggy talked about having the passport. So really, we try and encourage the K-12 community to come out um, as a way to kind of bring to life the world and so um kids can pick up a passport even adults and move along from booth to booth and get their passport signed and so the opportunity to get your name written in several different languages learn some new words um, play some great games um the filipino students uh, have this wonderful game called tingling and They do such a f- phenomenal job in kind of um, teaching students how to play the game, and um, so many of our other nationality groups are going to be doing some quite interesting um, booth setups. Anyway, so we have like the Saudi students are going to be recreating a Bedouin tent, the Sri Lankan students are recreating a Sri Lankan kitchen, and so uh, you know our international students have put in quite a bit of effort to make this a wonderful experience and a cultural exchange, and so. Uh, We would love for people to take part in that.
9: We we do have some um, um, MSU students, um, American students, that are involved in it too, and uh, one group of students is um, putting on some children's games for you know more the um, preschool kids face painting and uh, oh they have the Russian nesting dolls and they have several games that will let the little kids know a little bit more about the world. And uh, so we're hoping we get um, that uh, a lot of um, American students um, can come and enjoy it too, because in some ways maybe they don't really realize how many international students are here.
2: And, and what do you think that this, this event um, means for the international students that, that do participate in it and share their culture with um, the MSU community?
1: I think it's a way for them to give back to the community that they're living in. I think they really want to be engaged with, you know, their home away from home. And so they feel like this is a good way to kind of provide that Um, and really showcasing what they have to offer and what some of their talents and skills are and to really bring home or. You know, bring to the local community um, what is so great about their culture, what is so significant about their being here, and um, how wonderful a lot of these cultures and opportunities are. And so it's just a good cultural exchange, an opportunity for cultural exchange.
9: Yeah, I can remember certain groups like um, a few years ago, the Pakistani students just love dancing so much that even after their. Um, their, their part on the stage was over, um, they continued uh, dancing with a group of people, and people came uh, from their group from even the Detroit area. The Greek students did the same thing. They were so popular and loved, loved doing it. So a lot of students have done that. But I also want to mention that we have um, the World Gift Shop, and we really have involved the community in that. We have... Um, Uh, received a whole lot of donations of things that people have bought from other countries. And they just give it to the um, CVIP. And uh, in the World Gift Shop, we use those things um, to raise money for scholarships. And last year we made about $6,000. And this goes to scholarships for the spouses of international students. And it helps to pay some of the tuition costs um, that they could have. And um, that's really a lot of fun. Children love coming to it, too, because there's a whole lot of little things that uh, kids can find that they'll enjoy, too. So.
2: And where can people go for more information about um, the MSU Global Festival?
1: Well, a couple of places, but one of the places would be um, cvip.msu.edu, uh, and that is the organization that you know, has created it. Um, and they can also link to it through our OISS website, oiss.msu.edu. Well, in the
2: studio, I have Nicole Navy as well as Peggy Arbines, um,
1: and we're here to talk about the MSU Global
2: Festival, which will happen this Sunday at the MSU Union from noon to 5 p.m. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. And up next is an interview that Impact Senior Guest List producer Emmanuel Berry did. Um, This is an interview with the former Top Chef contestant Ariane Duarte about tailgating from home as well as holiday cooking.
3: This is Emmanuel Berry reporting for Impact Exposure on the phone, former Top Chef contestant as well as blogger for dinnertool.com, Arian Duarte. Today we will talk about holiday food and tailgating at home. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. We're glad to have you. Um, So the holiday season is upon us. People will Mm be cooking for office parties, Thanksgiving dinners, that sort of thing. Uh, Many people are looking for dishes to impress. What uh, do you suggest for someone who wants to show their cooking skills in the kitchen?
10: Well, you know, for me, uh, when it comes to... Um, cooking and holidays, I'm all about simplicity. So I like taking something so simple like, let's say, cauliflower Mm. and, you know, um, slicing it, you know, like in steaks and olive oil, salt, pepper, and roasting it in the oven. Not only is it something a little different take on cauliflower, but it's so delicious. It's so simple. And I I think it is a little impressive because you are taking something... That nobody really cares for cauliflower kind of gets a bad rap.
3: Yeah, yeah, it does. Unless you're making gobi but
10: <laughs> Yeah. And um so so for me it's all about the seasonal whatever, you know, I'm a big brussels sprout person right mm-hmm. now and I think if you put bacon with anything, so brussels sprouts, bacon and onions are always <laughs> fantastic and sure to please. You know, you put bacon with anything and it it's always a crowd pleaser.
3: Yeah, basically bacon makes a everything the world go around
10: (laughs) uh do you think think it's all about not stressing and just and and keeping a simple approach to it and take because you know everything it, it is good you know i mean and just adding a little some great butter and salt and pepper could make something so fantastic
3: so for this holiday season, also, um, people like me, who are absolutely horrible in the kitchen uh, and and would rather just run out to a store and buy the pre-made pie, would you uh, encourage us to brave the kitchen for the holiday season?
10: Well, what I would, uh, you know, I do encourage it, but however, because I'm not, you know, especially when it comes to pies, I'm not a big baker. I'm all about <laughs> taking, like buying a store-bought already pie crust, which is already made,
4: Mm because usually
10: it's a good product already, and then making your own filling, because you want to have to at least say something that you, you know, or just an accomplishment that you did it yourself, but I'm not opposed to going out and buying something already pre-made to help you get the process started or finished, Mm
3: -hmm.
10: especially in the holiday season, you know. Um, I think it's all about just, you know, you don't want to stress.
3: Yeah, you you just want everything to run smoothly even though it never does, right. but
9: <laughs> Right.
3: So uh are there any recipes you suggest or are offered uh, by Dinner Tool that have uh, that are easy for for people like me who really can't <laughs> can't cook so much well, actually, but
10: want to try? Well, the thing about Dinner Tool is there first of all there's hundreds of recipes. Um, you can actually hit hit in e- the word easy, and you'll get some simple recipes. So there definitely is um, some simple recipes, and they are pretty simple. I mean, there's things from, you know, how to make different types of potatoes, hundreds of recipes how to make chicken. Like you can say, uh, you can have, let's say you have chicken and mushrooms in your refrigerator. Mm-hmm. You can type those words in, and they'll, recipes will pop up. Um, so it all depends on, you know, what you have and what you want to get rid of or what you're making. But there are definitely, I mean, there's some great stir fries on there. Um, there's some great, um, you know, even if when it comes to side dishes or pasta dishes, um, there's a lot of videos as well. There's videos that I create that will help you through the process, like, like teaching you standard um, um, skills. Mm-hmm. whether it's a knife skill or uh, about different gadgets so there's a lot you can really learn from the site
3: and it sounds like it also saves you some money because if you're typing in what you already have in your fridge you're not, you know, going out oh, and buying
10: absolutely, absolutely especially nowadays
3: yeah, so what are your what's going to be on your Thanksgiving t- dinner table this year uh, <laughs> uh,
10: nothing on mine, personally my sister-in-law cooks I'm very lucky, you know I could, I, being a chef it, you, you, you love it when somebody will actually cook for you. Um, we're very traditional. We are um, my sister-in-law makes the turkey. She does the green beans, the stuffing. Um, so it, I'll make cranberry sauce like right now on my menu, I'm already gearing up for uh, the holidays.
11: So mm-hmm.
10: I'm making like a cranberry apple um, and that cranberry apple sauce. Like things like little twist on a cranberry sauce, but mm-hmm. just adding some apple or some fennel kind of gives it a nice kick, a nice little different twist. Um, but, you know, my holidays are uh, Christmas. I cook Christmas and Christmas Eve, so I, I keep it busy during that season. I'm very lucky at Thanksgiving, because my yeah. sister-in-law does. She always cooks. But I help. I do help. I, I, usually I carve the turkey. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's surprising. I mean, you're a chef and you're like, oh, I'm not cooking. No, but uh, you, so you take on Christmas and uh, Christmas Eve then?
10: Yes. Yeah, that's mine. I mean, she loves to do it. So listen, if somebody else loves to do it, then, you know,
3: let them go. (laughs) That's (laughs) That's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of uh, Christmas, it's also going to be a time where we're going to start having office parties and there's going to be all of those, oh, so good, but really bad for you treats on the table. Are there anything you suggest people avoid or uh, anything well, you suggest they cook instead?
10: Yeah, you know what I. you know what everybody says, everything in moderation. You hate to say no to, yeah. to anything, especially if you can just, you know, have one... Like, if it's like an hors d'oeuvre party, if you can just taste one of everything, then, you know, then then and try to get satisfied, then that's good. I mean, either that or you're going to have to spend a couple extra days at the gym.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give and take here and during the holidays. Uh, like I'm, a,
10: I'm a big foodie, I, especially parties on, around the holidays. So it, it's hard for me to say now. I think like anybody. I mean, obviously, yeah, we can't be eating, you know, 10 coconut <laughs> shrimp or... Yeah. You know, pigs in a blanket. We
3: <laughs> Moderation. But, you know, it's fun. So uh, another occasion where people have been stuffing their face lately is for tailgating. Uh, most colleges have a couple of football games left, but uh, some people who actually can't make it out to the game, tailgating at home, what are some uh, dishes you suggest for those who are just chilling at their house with lots of food?
10: One of my big things is um, we do um, a nacho bake. My family loves it's like a nacho bake. It's a it's a hot uh, layered um, like casserole, for lack of a better word. You can do it with chicken. You can do it vegetarian with beans. Uh, you can do ground beef, ground turkey, and basically what it is, it's it's layered. Salsa, sour cream, uh, you can do scallions, you can do onions, you know, you can do olives. You can make it your own. Um, actually, the recipe's on the site, but it's so simple. And in my family, it's become a staple, not only for tailgating, but um, just my kids in general. They love it. And wings. Wings is always – well, you guys, can, if they're cooking in the dorm, is it hard – do they can they cook it?
3: You I mean some dorms do offer it? offer kitchens like community kitchens but most of them actually don't. Um so it it is kind of difficult to cook in the dorm rooms. You got a microwave and a fridge. <laughs>
10: yeah, that can get a I mean some dips can be great too. You can do even if you had like a little um you know I don't know if they have crock pots or little heating pa- little heat hot hot plates are they um you can do like warm cheese dips like a a blue cheese dip with garlic, bacon—you know, maybe sausage or chorizo—which is always something a little different. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but dips and and you know chicken wings—the standards are always my favorite.
3: Standards with a little bit of a twist. Well, thank you, Arian, yeah. uh, for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you for having me. Up yep, and happy holidays. Uh, once again on the phone, that was Aaron Duarte, former Top Chef contestant, as well as blogger for DinnerTool.com. This is Emmanuel Berry reporting for Impact Exposure.
0: You're listening to
1: Impact Exposure.
2: First floor. Hey, what floor are you going
3: to? <clears throat> oh, uh, three. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, didn't we, uh, have...
2: Yeah, that one class. Yeah,
3: that's so funny to (laughs) to see you, because I (coughs) thought maybe we could, uh, would you ever want to, um, I was wondering if you, if I could stick my finger in your eye.
2: What? No. Oh, I
3: just flushed some toilets and touched a doorknob. What? I've been keeping this moist Kleenex in my pocket. that's Uh, so gross. I thought we could, you know, just stick my finger in your eye. Is that weird? No,
2: don't touch me. What's wrong with you?
3: Oh. Sorry. Well, ever since you got in the elevator, you've been coughing all over your hands and pressing the buttons, so I just thought you
1: were into that kind of thing.
0: Studies show that three quarters of women and only half of men actually wash their hands in the bathroom. That's nasty. Stop the flu and other germs by regularly washing with soap and avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. More at cdc.gov
7: slash clean hands.
8: Impact 89 FM.
2: tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the line is Phil LeBeau. He is a reporter on CNBC's uh, feature Ford Rebuilding an American Icon, which aired last week on CNBC. Welcome to the show, Phil LeBeau.
8: Hello. How are you?
2: Good. Uh, how are you doing?
8: Uh, I'm Not too bad. It's, it's been, uh, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a whirlwind here between uh, putting this documentary on um, and then we have the uh, General Motors IPO, which is going to be coming up uh, real soon, so th- those things are keeping me hopping.
2: Oh, very good. So, tell us about this um, this documentary that aired last week on CNBC about about Ford.
8: Well, and and even though it aired last week, because it's cable, it's going to be on again and again and again, and so you'll have a chance to, to catch it at some point in the future. Um, it, it, basically, what we have done is we have spent the last eight months going inside Ford. Uh, not only at the headquarters in Dearborn, but around the world. We went to India, we went to Europe, uh, and what we found uh, was what we knew we would find, a completely changed company that has been able to not only survive, but thrive without a government bailout. And and we explain the key decisions that were made to make Ford profitable again uh, and, and how this company is completely different from where it was four years ago.
2: And, and what were some interesting or shocking bits of information that you gathered during this report?
8: I think the most interesting one is that uh, Alan Mulally, the CEO, was, was able to come in and was able to change a completely insular company. Um, for years, if you went to Dearborn and you talked with Ford workers, you would hear them say, well, that's not the Ford way. And... They would say this after they would lose several billion dollars in a quarter. And I would say, please explain to me what the Ford way is, because if if it means losing billions of dollars, it's not working. Alan Mulally came in, and he basically said, I'm not going to change the Ford way, but I am going to make us profitable by focusing on what we do wrong and what we shouldn't be doing. And... So they immediately started attacking their problems from a a completely different perspective and a different approach. And Alan Mulally was able to make the the whole company focus on the really key things that they needed to focus on, quality, styling, um, manufacturing, all of those, the, the things that you need to do. Which you know may not be the most glamorous because it's blocking and tackling, um, but but the things that you need to do to be successful.
2: Now, um, our station's here in East Lansing, and uh, I, I grew up in the Lansing area, and I've seen some of the plants kind of disappear, and you're right. talking about Dearborn, and I know that you know Michigan itself has been hit really hard with what Absolutely. happened with, with the auto industry in the past few years. But will, will Michigan still be home for Ford after these changes that have happened?
8: It'll always be home. It will always be home. And in fact, if you look at what the announcements uh, that these guys have made over the last, oh nine months, uh, there is no doubt that they are investing in the future in, in Michigan. Um, and, and some of their plants there, they are spending uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, upgrading those plants. So it, it's always going to happen. Now, will they bring back all the plants that, that they've shut down over, you know, let's say the last six years? That they, have they been forced to become leaner? No. That's just that's a sad reality. It's just not going to happen, not only for them, but for all the automakers. It's just it's a different world where you need fewer plants with fewer workers, and, and, and a lot of those plants that have gone away just won't come back. The plants that are there, they're going to be uh, improved upon and invested in uh, heavily in the future.
2: And what would you say are the biggest difference between Ford versus Chrysler and GM historically and what has happened with around the time the bailouts occurred?
8: Well, they had the cash to ride out the storm. Uh, they had it. GM and Chrysler didn't, which is why GM and Chrysler had to go to Washington and say, help us out. And uh, we, lo- we talk about that in the, uh, in the documentary. And uh, you know, the, the estimate is that this turning down of, of federal bailout. Probably generate about a billion dollars worth of marketing and goodwill for Ford, and so the biggest difference between them and GM and Chrysler is that they 're further along in their turnaround now GM, which reported uh, you know a, a nice sizable third quarter uh, profit and is going to be publicly traded, um, GM is getting there Chrysler probably going to be there mid to late next year, but the changes that, that are being made at Chrysler long overdue long needed. Um, They're going to reap rewards, too. I I think the encouraging thing for the audience there in East Lansing is we're entering a period of two, three, four years here which are going to be a real renaissance for the auto industry in the the United States. The big three are all primed to not only make money but to roll out some really uh, impressive product.
2: And what kind of products do you see them rolling out? I know that um, there was mention about uh, the Ford Explorer um, in in the documentary, but, but what types of cars do you see that um, these three companies will be producing?
8: Absolutely more fuel-efficient, without a doubt. I mean, that's the number one thing. They've all got religion now. They understand that they have to make uh, fuel-efficient cars. Um, more fuel efficiency in terms of the cars and, and a wider variety of cars, not your token hey, here's our car, and uh, by the way, the rest of the showroom is going to be SUVs, crossovers, and trucks. Um, you, you will see a wider variety from all of the manufacturers when it comes to cars. Um, and, and obviously, we're going to see more crossovers. But getting back to that cars, I mean, it, it's gone are the days when you would walk into a, a showroom and see uh, the Ford 500 from 2005. I mean, do you remember that vehicle? No, I, mean, that I don't. was... It was a dog. Oh, okay. And, and even, people at, even people at Ford would admit it. You know, it was kind of like, well, we had to put out a car, and we, and we built this thing. And, you know, was it any wonder that the Camry was, was running laps around it? That Those days are gone. They realize now that they have to be world-class in terms of interiors and styling, and, and, and all of the, uh, the automakers in Detroit are doing a much better job in that regard.
2: Now, having a lot of experience um, looking at the auto industry, um, in your opinion, what who do you think will be the leading um, car manufacturer in the future?
8: Uh, well, I don't think General Motors is is going to relinquish the title anytime soon because I think that they are um, they are primed to stay where they are and grow sales in the future, and they've got oh a couple hundred thousand lead on uh, on Ford in the U.S. and they're they're going to probably come close to supplanting toyota again to be world's largest so i I think you're you you were going to see gm ford and toyota in this one two three position for the next couple of years here who gains and who loses market share i don't think we're going to see a big shift anytime soon um i'd say three or four years down the road you might see some shifting but at this point it's too hard to predict uh who's going to be the first to stub their toe
2: Well, on the phone, I have Phil LeBeau. He is a reporter on CNBC's Ford Rebuilding Rebuilding an American Icon, and it aired last week on CNBC. Where can people go for more information?
8: Well, obviously, CNBC.com will have uh, all of the uh, showtimes uh, for when the uh, program is going to be on. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, as we do reports, uh, we'll we'll be mentioning to people as well uh, the various times that it will be on in the future.
2: And anything else you'd like to add?
8: Uh, no, just what we talked about i I think uh, i I know it's been a brutal, brutal two or three years in southeastern Michigan, south central Michigan um, but, but I do think that we're at a period here where you could start to see a bit of a renaissance for the big three
2: well, Phil LeBeau, thank you so much for joining us today.
8: Thank you you're listening to
1: impact exposure, impact. exposure. on
11: I'm Colleen Burkhar for the Michigan Storytelling Segment. This excerpt is from my book, Michigan Curiosities, and it's called Tuba or Nut Tuba. William White has treasured the tuba since he first started playing one when he was nine years old. Actually, he began his musical career on a sousaphone, a circular tuba shaped so that one could carry it while marching. Today, he's the proprietor of the Traveler's Club International Restaurant and Tuba Museum. That's quite a mouthful, but then tuba players are probably used to that. Situated in a former hardware store built in 1950, the museum restaurant is home to more than 60 tubas, the oldest dating back to 1870. It's a hornblower's heaven with all the large brass instruments, mostly in playing condition, and vintage tuba photos filling the walls. Here you'll see the world's only remaining majestic monster, a double E flat helicon tuba. Even though it was built in Austria circa 1915, it's a true Michiganian, having been a fixture of the UP's Iron Mountain community band. While the musical aspect will get you inside, it's the food that will keep you here even longer. For more than 20 years, White and his partner, Jennifer Brooke, have been offering guests a traveling menu. Both say they love to cook feasts of ethnic food, but don't like to cook the same thing too often. Hence, the menu changes monthly, focusing on different regions of the world. One month, you could be savoring the tastes of India with delicacies like lime potatoes. The next month, your choice would be something with a Mexican flair. Wash it all down with one of 35 wines by the glass or 120 different beers. Totally eclectic is a fitting description for the food and folly here. Don't be surprised if you see and hear members of the Michigan State University marching band come parading through at any time. It's all part of one man's devotion to the tuba. Just outside the building is White's tribute to tubas, an original artistic creation that honors all the tubes that have met their untimely demise after being run over on the field by football players. As an everlasting tribute, White took an old tuba, had a steamroller go over it several times, and then enshrined it in cement. Travelers Club International Restaurant and Tuba Museum is located at 2138 Hamilton Road, Okamas. It's open 7 days a week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Be sure to listen to the world's only Sousa fountain gurgle in the outdoor patio. Phone 517-349-1701. Or visit www.travelerstuba.com for more information. I'm Colleen Burkhar for the Michigan Storytelling Segment.
0: Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to
1: Impact Exposure.